Good evening. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group podcast for Wednesday, April 19th, almost in November 19th for some reason. I'm trying to accelerate the year and get it going, but we don't want to accelerate it too far because storm season is coming up very soon. We already had a few run-ins with a little bit of severe weather in our area and uh, the warmth of everything that brings those summertime storms is here for part of the week. Other times, not so much. Uh, it's been a calm weather day across much of North Carolina because we had the dreaded Carolina wedge for majority of the day influencing our weather and making it a little cool in parts of the region. So let's check in with our regular panel members and see what's going on before we bring in our guests for tonight. First up, we'll bring in James, who's in the Charlotte area where I know that dreaded wedge was your favorite friend today, right? Yeah, I was just happy it was actually raining uh, as opposed to yesterday we were just kind of cloudy and gross. Like, I don't mind it when it rains. It's just when it can't decide what it wants to do that it's a little bit miserable. But we had a lovely uh, holiday weekend here in the Charlotte area. Couldn't have asked for better weather. Not too warm, not too cold, and not rainy at all. So uh, things are uh, fairly nice in the Charlotte area. And uh, we're also in that sweet spot where I can pretty much just leave the windows open around the clock. No heat or AC needed. Ricky? The only bad thing is all the pollen that uh, is probably blowing true. in as a result, too. That is very true. One downside to opening the windows in the south. <laughs> yeah, we've had some pretty bad pollen up, I guess, in Bristol. Everything's turned yellow, but uh, I have never seen pollen as bad as I've seen in Charlotte before. So, All right, speaking of the other Carolina, let's bring in Shay, who's down in Charleston, South Carolina, see what's going on in his neck of the woods tonight. Hi, Ricky. How are you doing? Yeah, we've had uh, some pretty warm weather. I mean, we're, we're getting pretty much into full spring. Uh, pollen's still around. We have molds now. We've had some, some dry air, some good grasses. Uh, but we're starting to sort of see the back end or the, the back side of the pollen. It's starting to kind of go down and, and eventually over time we get a few more rains and uh, a little bit more time under our belt and we should be done with the pollen issues altogether. But that doesn't mean allergy season's over by, by far. Uh, we had um, you know, an interesting article today I read uh, Dr. Marshall Shepard shared out from UGA about thunderstorm asthma and that seems to be sort of a, a a new research that the atmospheric sciences department there is uh, going into. And it's pretty fascinating information. It's not something many people have heard of and it's really relatively new area of research, but um, you know, I actually did a presentation yesterday, weather basics for a group of kiteboarders at a local shop here called Forest Kite and Wake. And the owner of that shop had an asthma attack right during, right, right near a thunderstorm that was in the area. And I didn't really think about it until I saw that article this morning, but uh, if you get a chance to check it out, you can go into UGA's Atmospheric Sciences website, or you can just visit Dr. Marshall Shepard on Facebook to get that article. But uh, outside of that, for the weather for the Carolinas, sea surface temperatures warming up to 72, 73 degrees. We have uh, air temperatures are back into the mid 80s, sometimes upper 80s. And we're looking at uh, uh, some pretty decent winds for this week, this weekend to finish the week. And uh, with the Charleston Race Week 2017, it's the it's more specifically Sperry Charleston Race Week going on in Charleston. And so that's a pretty big event that, that we forecast every year out of our sail flow products. So we're looking forward to that. A lot of work, but uh, a lot of fun, a lot of good people. <clears throat> Back to you, Rick. We have, our own, we have our own race coming up uh, this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. And uh, it's funny, I was doing weather on television uh, Monday morning. And, you know, with the races coming around, they always want good weather because no one wants to sit out the racetrack in the rain. So I'm doing my 5 o'clock weather hit, and right before we go on, I see a commercial that says, Storm Track 5 weather brought to you by Bristol Motor Speedway. I'm like, great. Of all the possible people to sponsor the weather this week, it had to be you guys. Love you, but still, it's like, 
I wish it could give you better weather, but uh, we may have to deal with a few rain delays this weekend up there at the track. But hey, we'll uh, make the best of it and see what we can do. So, all right, let's bring in our guest for tonight. This tonight, uh, we have Chris White, who is a storm chaser out of the Roanoke, Virginia area. Chris has uh, experienced several tornado outbreaks, severe weather events, and uh, I should say bus too across Virginia over the years when it comes to severe weather. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Well, glad glad I was here. Glad I could join you. And uh, tell us a little bit about how everything's been going up in uh, Roanoke. Well, you mentioned the Carolina wedge. Guess what? We have it here in Virginia, too. We've been pretty well socked in uh, the last couple of days. And looks like it'll break tomorrow. There may be actually some convection up this way tomorrow and Friday as well with the front coming through. So uh, I've got my eyes on it. We'll see if I can do some chasing here as well. And so we'll dive into kind of the things that bring chasing to Virginia in just a moment. But let's kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about how you even got interested in storm chasing in Virginia. I mean, we're not the storm capital of the world. So how does someone get interested in, in storm chasing here in the Commonwealth? Well, to make a long story short, this is where I live. <laughs> uh, I actually got into storm chasing. I've been fascinated with weather most of my life. Uh, I did not go into meteorology as a career. I wound up uh, working for for Uncle Sam in, in the uh, D.C. area. Uh, but I guess, I guess I passed the bug along to my son. So he actually was interested in meteorology, went out to uh, major in that in, at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. And, of course, while you're out there, you have to chase. So I actually went out there, and that was, I guess, in the spring of 2002, and, and did a little family chase and got hooked on it. actually saw a tornado on our second day out. And uh, so when I got back to Virginia at the time, we lived in Northern Virginia in Fredericksburg and I started chasing up in that area and I've just been chasing in Virginia ever since. Of course, interspersed with trips back out to the plains. So that was the one time where uh, the kids were always like, yeah, dad, come on out. Let's go storm chasing, right? Pretty much. And actually it was a family trip. It was my son and I and my brother who lives in Texas drove up and the three of us went out for about a week. That's awesome. I, that's still on my bucket list to go out west and, you know, kind of see storm chasing out in the plains. I, uh, we've seen two tornadoes in North Carolina and Virginia, but never out there. So it's a bucket list item I'll get to one day. Well, I highly so, recommend it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Virginia chasing. You mentioned you've been out in the plains. Talk about how Virginia is much different than out there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting topic. Uh, the first thing that if folks that have never been out west uh, don't understand if you've ever been west of the Mississippi, you don't understand how far you can see out there. It's flat. There are no trees. Uh, you can see storms and, and, and features many, many miles away. The road systems are generally uh, north, south, east, west, so you can you can maneuver pretty easily. Not here in Virginia. You know, the roads follow the terrain. There's lots of trees, obviously. There's hills. And actually, the the population density, even rural areas around here is, is much higher than it is out in some of the rural areas out west, say in western Kansas or Oklahoma. So you have more traffic. And, and then again, out there, because the, the atmospheric dynamics, the storms are much bigger and much more potent than they generally tend to be here in Virginia. You brought up a good point with population, you know, even in rural areas, so much traffic. I live in Bristol, Tennessee, and, you know, we're not the biggest city on the planet, but we have traffic for sure even in some of our smaller communities and so people talk about chaser convergence out in the plains we kind of have that every day of the week exactly i mean and that's that's something that's as a rule uh, i've kind of developed this rule over the years is i don't chase in or near urban areas 
because of the the, the uh, potential for getting caught in front of a storm that's you know putting out hail or high winds and being stuck in traffic. And so that gets it's it's kind of problematic when you get to some of these rural roads out here in Virginia that uh, don't go maybe in the direction you want them to go, and then you try to go you know take another direction and there's a slow car in front of you. Yeah, so it, it gets fun. How do you deal with the terrain, you know, problems around here, the visibility issues, being able to see the storm structure and what the storm is doing at the time? Well, part of that is just experience uh, and learning. For instance, I mentioned I, I uh, first started chasing in the Fredericksburg area and then about five years ago, moved down here to Roanoke. I had to relearn once I moved down here, relearn the roads, relearn where places were that I could actually see. Uh, I mean, you have to you have to have the road intersect the right part of the right, right quadrant of the storm, which you generally want to be south and east of the storm as it's moving toward the east. And then you have to have the terrain cooperate. You're not you don't need to be on the wrong side of a hill. And then you have to have a clearing so the trees aren't in the way. So it's it's a matter of learning vantage points, learning uh, you know where the storms are going and how you can intercept and get ahead of them. And it helps to have some really good maps. You know, with technology becoming so much, you know, more of a useful tool now, have you used Google Maps and Google Maps Street View and anything like that to try and find better spots along the way? I, I have, but I tend to be old school because I use I use the big Delorum uh, atlases. We can send them a bill for their advertisement later. But uh, because I found that even here in Virginia, you can get in some spots where you really can't get a good cell signal. Or it, what, ha what would happen, for instance, if you know your battery dies or something unforeseen happens? I'd rather have an analog map in front of me so I can use that most of the time. But I do use Google Maps occasionally. Sure. Yeah. There's numerous, numerous places uh, that I've been in Virginia where that's a problem. So let's talk about the topography of Virginia. We are a very diverse state. We go from you know the coastline where it's relatively flat all the way up into Southwest Virginia, where you've got coal country and the Appalachian Mountains, and up towards uh, David Reese's place, where we've got Charlottesville and the Appalachians and Blue Ridge running through there. Talk about how that factors into not just with the weather that goes on in Virginia, but the storm chasing. Sure. Um, well, a lot of the, the uh, terrain, of course, has effect on on the storms themselves, and we can talk about that. Although, I, you know, people should realize that tornadoes do happen in mountains. We don't want to we don't want to give people the impression that that you know, mountains will stop tornadoes because they, they do happen here. But one of the factors in any kind of storm chasing, and, and as I tell new storm chasers, a storm chasing event is a four dimensional event. It's X, Y, Z and time. You have to be at the right place in the right time to see the storm. And then you have to be able to get, stay out of the way of the storm. So any place you go, you have to have, if you're gonna intercept a storm that's you know, looking pretty severe, you need to have an egress route, an escape route. So you really don't find many of those kind of routes west of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So I don't tend to chase west of the Blue Ridge very much. I know a couple of places where I can pull off and watch, you know, as a spotter, but act actually keep up with the storm. I make sure I'm east of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and there, therefore, there are more road options that open up there. How about the storm differences? Uh, you mentioned the topography having an influence on it. How do storms in the summertime behave in Virginia? Well, that's an interesting point uh, because the mountains themselves, uh, especially when you when you have a system coming across, the, say, a cold front coming across from the west or the northwest, 
uh, many times east of the mountains and, and in Virginia it generally lines up along the US Route 29 corridor from Charlottesville to Lynchburg to Danville in that area. There's a, something called a lee trough sets up. It's, it's a, a kink in the isobars, the pressure isobars east of the mountains. And many times if there's enough instability, enough moisture, that kink in the isobars can actually fire storms by itself. So there are a lot of storms tend to fire along the Route 29 corridor and then move east from there. So that kind of gives you an idea of where you might need to set up in a lot of, a lot of situations. That's uh, really interesting you bring that up, Chris. Uh, you know, looking at, looking at other side of the coastal zones, you also have the sea breezing that occurs up in the upper Potomac, upper Chesapeake, uh, the mid-Atlantic areas, and that tends to push clouding inland as well. Uh, do you ever see any kind of rotations along the sea breeze front inland, or do you see any gust fronts that cause any kind of rotations further, that penetrate further uh, up into the foothills? Sure, yeah, that, and that's a good point. I've actually, I remember one specific day in, in the, dog, the dog days of August in, up in Fredericksburg, and the, the synoptic wind, the surface wind was just about dead. There was nothing going on. And this huge storm blew up on what I think was the river breeze off the Potomac, where the Potomac is over a mile wide in that area, and it actually drifted south and east with some, some indicated rotation on it because it was interacting with some of the, the land breeze. So, yeah, that can happen. And, there, of course, the Chesapeake Bay does, is big enough to uh, push some stuff in. And, and then this time of year in, in here in Virginia, we talked about the wedge a little while ago. Uh, that a lot of time is the, uh, the edge of the Atlantic moisture reaching inland. And depending on where that wedge sets up, it can have storms that fire along that wedge can have some rotation, which is what happened last year uh, in the Appomattox tornado. Right. So, so talk a little bit about some of the urban heat island effects from uh, commercial zones in, in that area and how those might affect some of the thunderstorms as well. I know that along the coastline, you have sea breeze interaction, you have water moisture interaction with the coastal cities like Baltimore and other areas that thunderstorms blow up in. But in Roanoke, in your areas, does that have an effect as well? I'm sure it does. I haven't seen any studies on it. Uh, I do know I wasn't actually did participate in one study of, out of Virginia Tech that was doing some research as you looking at Roanoke as an urban heat island, taking measurements around the city. Uh, I'd have to go back and pull that study up to, to see how that how it came out. But uh, there are uh, instances I've seen other research where the uh, the heat island around the city will actually interact with a, a system that's coming across the mountains and maybe intensify a storm that's already there. I don't know that it actually would fire a storm by itself, but it certainly can intensify one that's coming across. Very interesting. Ricky, do you have anything else for your area? I think he had some uh, some share screening he wanted to do with some information. Yeah, we'll get, uh, we'll certainly get into that in just a moment. Just a few more questions that we kind of, you know, set the baseline for storms in our area. Uh, let's talk about kind of the different types of storms, Chris. Uh, a lot of times we'll get those pulse storms in the summertime. What drives those in Virginia? Uh, and then how do those go about chasing? Sure. Well, pulse storms are basically thunderstorms that fire because there's a lot of instability, which comes from having a lot of moisture and, and, and a lot of heating of the heating of the day. And they'll usually fire up, you know, mid to late afternoon. And they typically, you know, basically are the, in, the updrafts that go up, rain themselves out and come down. They have a life cycle of maybe 45 minutes per individual storm. Uh, there's no wind shear that would cause those storms to stick around a while. And of course, wind shear being different directions, wind directions at different heights in the atmosphere. Uh, 
those particular storms are, are rather hard to chase because if you're not right on them when they form, they can, they can go up, rain out, and disappear by the time you can get to them. You know, in 45 minutes, they can be gone themselves. Um, but there are a few, a number of those that if they're a specific day, say in July or August, where you're getting a lot of those pulse storms, when they rain themselves out, there's a cold pool or a mini cold front, if you will, that goes out from, from uh, the base of the storm. And anybody that's been, in, has been outside and watched one of those storms can know that because you get the cold outflow in your face as that storm is, is collapsing. When, those two, when two of those outflows intersect, they can fire other storms, and that makes it almost like playing uh, you know, whack-a-mole at the fair, trying to figure out where the next storm's going to go up. Part of the fun of summertime forecasting in our area. Exactly. Uh, where were the James? You had a question. I do, and bear with me. I'm just popping myself up here on all our different YouTube and Facebook broadcasts. Uh, Chris, I was curious to know what essential tools do you bring with you in your vehicle when you are out chasing these storms? Good question. Um, I can just kind of go left to right in my cockpit of my chase mobile, if you will. I've got on the on the left side, left of the of the uh, driver's side, and in, in the corner of the windshield, I have a uh, suction mount with which which I attach just a little flip video camera, standard by itself, about thirty minutes of recording time. If there's something that I see, it's not even HD. I mean, that's how long I've had this thing. But if there's something I want to watch when I'm actually watching a storm, I'll click that on, and let it run. I don't have to fool with it. Uh, moving over to the center, I've got a, a mount. Uh, I, I use a car old enough that actually has a CD player still in it. So, so I have a mount that as long goes. As it's in, not a tape deck. Uh, no, no, no tape decks. <laughs> uh, but the, I have a mount that goes into the CD player and holds a cell phone. I actually put an iTouch in there, and along with a mobile Wi-Fi unit, I uh, use that as my my radar, as I have a, a, a radar scope application to do that. Then on the, on the dashboard, because now that I've gotten into some um, chasing for the media, I actually have a, uh, it's a Microsoft webcam. That's, it's an HD webcam that I actually put on the dashboard, run down on the USB cable to a laptop. I have an encoder on the laptop and then push out a signal through a service uh, that, that actually goes out over the internet and uh, anybody can look at it. And then I've got a, an agreement with a, a local TV station to actually broadcast that if there's anything that comes out that they would be interested in. Then, of course, I also have, you know, the, the old cell phone that I can take pictures with, video with, call, text, send out, you know, social media. And I, then I do have a 35 millimeter uh, uh, camera with a zoom lens I can also record. So I've got numbers of, of ways to do uh, pick up photos and videos. And then, as I mentioned before, I also have in the back seat, I usually have a, a digital map, not digital, but a, an analog map that I can look at. Now, Chris, what kind of weather station do you carry? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, James. No, that's okay. We'll we'll take your we'll take Shay's question, and then we'll come back. Uh, was I was asking, uh, what kind of weather station do you have? Do you have uh, moving parts anemometers, or um, what kind of wind vanes do you use? I don't really have any of those. Uh, I I decided that was one layer of complexity I didn't want to fool with, because uh, especially I, I do I I am developing a, a Chase partner. I'll say that uh, I've got a guy that's, that's retiring. In fact, he just retired, long-term law enforcement. So when he drives, that frees me up to do a lot of stuff. But many times I'm chasing it by myself and, you know, two hands, two eyes, there's only so much I can do. So I, I choose not to take a weather station with me. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions was whether or not you were going solo. And on that same point, do you bring like a weather radio or a ham radio to get some audio updates while you're driving? Um, 
Not really. I do have a couple of apps on here. Uh, the I've got you know without you know going into the details, there are apps that will warn you when you have a, a warning pop up or or as a scale discussion, and those will give them an audible warning. And and of course, to get the details, I'll pull over and, and you know flip up the, the screen and take a look at what it's saying. But and I do have I do usually carry a weather radio with me as well. Yeah, that kind of uh, I have question for you with your with the technologies that you bring of course you're going down into valleys you're going into areas where cell coverage is not going to be as great do you have amplifiers or anything that sort of gets the signal out or, or how do you keep track when you're when you're out in the middle of say nowhere uh, trying to chase a storm no I don't have any amplifiers I haven't gotten to that point yet uh, it may come to that if I uh, need to improve the quality of the video for instance I'm pushing out uh, I do at, at times, I, I do have a, a backup uh, MiFi unit, small unit that I have. It runs on a completely different network. So if my main unit is, if I'm not on there, that cell network, I'll try that network. And then I'm on a completely different network with this. So, you know, between them, I can usually get something out if, if I need to get, you know, tech messages or phone calls or things like that. All right, Ricky. All right, Chris, I think you had some stories you wanted to tell, and we want to hear a bunch of those stories as well. What I want to do first, though, is have you tell us about the first chase you went on in Virginia. I know we, we talked about the stuff you did out in the plains, but what was the first storm system that you chased in Virginia? Goodness. Uh, well, it would have been right after getting back from that uh, plains chase in 2002. There were uh, just some general thunderstorms that went through that first year. The the one chase that that really sticks out in my mind back in 2002 was, uh, and and this is something that occasionally will will raise my antenna. I'm sure it does. You guys do there in the in the Carolinas when any tropical remnants come through, and a lot of times in September and October, tropical and it doesn't have to be a tropical storm. It could just be the remnants and the the vorticity, the spin that's left into the atmosphere can can cause some pretty interesting things and. I remember it was, it was uh, fall, I think it was September of 2002, the remnants of Isidore came through. And uh, I was out chasing with my son in Northern Virginia and it, that particular storm had uh, in the afternoon when there was enough, enough uh, sunlight that came out to spin up or to put up some storms, it was spinning up some wall clouds and funnels left and right. And I remember that there was so many, there were some plains quality wall clouds I was seeing in Virginia. And that, that really blew my mind. I never thought I'd see that here. wall clouds for just a minute because i think this is something we see a lot around here we see a lot of non-rotating wall clouds in virginia uh, how many of those do you see on a common basis <laughs> it's funny you should ask i went back and looked at some statistics um i don't keep really you know close statistics but i i usually do uh write up chases on on a blog mainly for my benefit and if anybody else wants to read it that's fine too but i went back and scoured through those and of all the severe features I've seen more wall clouds than anything else, and dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And the reason is, is we can get enough dynamics here to cause a mesocyclone to form, uh, which is a, a rotating part of a storm with a broad rotation. But many times there's not enough low-level shear, you know, at the, at the between the surface and say, you know, a couple thousand feet up to spin up a tornado. So you have that in-between zone where you ha can have a severe storm that's putting out hail, high winds has a wall cloud underneath it, whether it's rotating or not, but there's just not enough of that shear that to, to make it go any further. 
All right. Let's talk about one time that really did have a lot of that shear, and that was uh, you mentioned tropical cyclones 2004 with Hurricane Ivan and the remnants moving through Virginia. Talk a little bit about how that chase day went. Right. That was uh, that was very interesting. I'll I'll bring up a screen share here because I've got some things to uh, to show on that, uh, and we can we can start out with um, if I can pull up pull this up here. Is that up yet? We can see you. Good to go. Okay. Well, this this is the uh, Storm Prediction Center storm reports for that day. This was the that was a powerful Hurricane Ivan that that actually came ashore on the Gulf Coast and caused all sorts of damage. The remnants held together and made made their way up through the Carolinas into Virginia. And that day, you can see all the red dots on the screen there. Those are all the reported tornadoes that day. And that happened to be a, a very strong outbreak. And if I think if I, I got this over here, the, this is the uh, the National Weather Service office in Sterling, the Northern Virginia office. This is their plot of all the tornadoes that happened within their county warning area. That's inside the black line there. And you can see all the all the lines. Uh, I, I forget how many tornadoes it actually was, but it was it was a major outbreak for them. I actually happened to chase that day. That was a Friday afternoon. Uh, I took a couple hours off from work. And uh, my son and, and uh, his wife came up. Actually, it was his fiance at the time. And the three of us chased that day. And I don't know if you can tell, it's kind of small in this frame, but I have three triangles in here, one, two, and three. Those are the three intercept positions where we saw storms that actually led to some tornadoes. Uh, the, uh, this was the first inkling we got. And there you can see the, the difficulty of seeing over the trees and the topography. But this was one of the first inkling we got that the storm we were targeting was going to be pretty interesting. You can see the, the updraft there, and it's, it's tilted a little bit toward the right. The base is pretty robust. And what had happened was the sun had come out that afternoon and destabilized the atmosphere just about the time that this, this, uh, these remnants with this spin in the atmosphere got in place. And storms started firing left and right. And so we followed this on around a, a few a few more minutes and wound up at a farm at a looking over a farm here. This was in Fauquier County, looking to the southwest. And it was obvious to us that this was a tornado. You can look at the base here, you can look at the wall cloud, and then again, there's the topography problem. This was, went down to a river bottom. This is the Rappahannock River as you go on down beyond here. I couldn't tell if this was on the ground, but it was obviously rotating. So I called in a storm report to the National Weather Service office in Sterling, and three minutes later, they fired off a tornado warning on this storm. And that is the tornado of all the tornadoes that happened that day. That wound up being an F3. And that was the strongest of the bunch. It went on to damage some homes. I, I don't think there was any injuries, thankfully, that day in, uh, in Virginia from that, from that particular tornado. But we went on from there, chased that storm up a little further uh, toward the Warrington area, and actually pulled off the, the highway because it was getting ready to cross the road. And you can see there, there's, there's the, the remnant funnel that is just above the tree line and uh, wound up going through the damage path of that after it had crossed the road. Uh, we circled back around and actually chased another storm that dropped a tornado that day as well. So we, were, we got so busy or so tired of hearing tornado warnings on, on the radio, we actually turned it off for a while. What about the hail associated with these storms? What size hail do you get in these areas where these tornadoes develop? Well, you know, that was interesting. Because this was a tropical setup, we didn't have any hail. The, the tops on these storms weren't that high. They were, I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think they were maybe, maybe 30, 30,000 feet or so high. But the, the low-level uh, shear was such that they were, they were spinning up these tornadoes. I didn't recall seeing that many hail reports. 
Yeah, that all, it's always interesting, the tropical systems that move ashore as they go further inland, they seem to be more of, a, they sort of turn into more of a cumuliform type of cloud versus, you know, the, the giant cumulonimbus thunderheads. Uh, so that's really interesting. It was falling at F3 from that type of clouding. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah, the dynamics were really, the instability really grew that afternoon, and, and the dynamics were there. We just happened to be at the right place at the right time and picked the right storm. And that's something else to keep in mind about storm chasing is there's rarely just one storm that's obvious. You have to kind of choose between three or four, and sometimes you look out and choose the right one to go after. That, that was the storm of the day. So I'm guessing you have to be pretty well-versed in radar science. So tell us a little bit about your experience with radar technology. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting, uh, interesting learning curve. Uh, you know, I started out with, with very little. As a matter of fact, with this particular chase with it in 2004, the only radar access that we had was at, at my internet at home. We didn't have mobile radar. So we were chasing, once we left home, we were chasing with the Mark I eyeball, paper maps, and a weather radio. That was it. And of course, cameras as well. Uh, so you, you'd make your best guesses of where the storm was, storms were going, and then you, go, you use the Mark I eyeball to get yourself in location. But going from there, uh, you know, I, I graduated into using uh, some of the GR products. Uh, you know, on, on laptops, you can you can uh, you actually still get some of the Gibson Ridge uh, radar products and, and use them. And they're they're pretty interesting. Uh, the graphics are not, are, or the, at least the version that I use, the graphics are still kind of old school. You know, compared to some of the new stuff that's out. But it's very it's very helpful in terms of learning where where the storms are and how they look. And it's not just the reflectivity you look at. You know what. What you typically see, say on a, on a uh, TV broadcast when they're showing radar, but when you're chasing, you also need to look at things like the velocity signatures. You know, to make sure is the storm rotating. We, you know, where is the rotating part of the storm located? Where is it going? And then you look at things like uh, parameters called uh, the uh, vertical, uh, vertically integrated liquid, or the VIL, which gives you an idea of of how much reflection is coming back from the the precipitation. The you know, brighter the colors, the stronger the reflection more likely you are to have hail, for instance, and there are hail cores that I don't really want to drive through. So, so you have to avoid those as well. All right, you kind of brought up a, an interesting topic in that description for a second there. You're talking about when you left the house, you didn't have the technologies back then to, to keep up with it. Now there's, we have the spotter network, chasers network. Tell the viewers uh, what you're plugged into or maybe what a good network to be plugged into is. I mean, if you're out there on the road and, and you're, you maybe you don't have radar, technology or your mobile phone radar scope on it or something like that. Uh, how would you get around? Would you be communicating to other chasers on the road as well to get more information, coordinate with each other? Well, I think that's in that case, that's where uh, mobile radios would be handy, handy, especially things like ham radios where you can tap into uh, local uh, Skywarn nets, for instance, uh, to, to, to figure out, you know, where the storms are, where they're going. You know, because if you're out chasing and, and the visibility is good, especially in areas uh, where out of the plains, especially, but even some areas here in Virginia, you can pretty much have a, an overall view of what's going on with the storms. But when it starts getting hot and heavy and there's lots of storms popping up, you know, visually you, you can lose situational awareness. So it would be good to have something like a radio to, to pick up and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a here with the lo local spotter reports what's coming out. You know, you know, where is the storm? You know, what, what kind of storm reports or damage reports are we hearing from this? It looks like Scotty has joined us tonight. If Scotty has anything uh, he wants to add or want to hang hang tight for a minute, get get acclimated. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm good. Thanks for sorry joining a little bit late, Chris. Thanks for joining us. I'm not sure what you guys have talked about, so I'll just hang back for a little bit, and if something pops up, I'll I'll give it a, a shout. <laughs> Chris, I got one for you, and um, it's a I think a practical question. Um, what finances all of this, right? Because you've got gas and equipment and cars. Like, I think a lot of people want to do what you're doing, but need to figure out how to get over that hurdle. Any advice? Yeah, don't expect to make money off of this. <laughs> um, now, having said that, there are a few well-known individuals that do make money and are full-time storm chasers. I will say that. But most of them that I'm aware of, anyway, have, have uh, what was the line from the movie, corporate sponsors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know whether it's a you know a national uh, uh, weather uh, weather outlet or something. So, but the average person don't expect to make money out of this, and, and I don't. It's a hobby. Now, occasionally I can make money uh, through some selling some video. I my, actually my live streaming. I go through a uh, through Severe Studios. I'll, I'll give them a, a shout out, and uh, they can they actually have the right to market my feed to anybody that uh, that they want to outside of my local television market. I've, I've fenced that off because I have one station here that I work with. Um, but for the most part, the, you know, the money that comes in does not equal the money that goes out for mileage and things like that. And I think you mentioned you try to avoid hail because I imagine <laughs> you're driving your personal car. Exactly. You know, if, if beyond the expense, which I don't want to go through, you know, if you if you get your hail, you get your windshield broken because of hail, chase is done. Period. You can't you can't go any further because you can't see. And I don't want to get into that situation. That, that's another question. Uh, just a, a brief. Uh, maybe a touch on insurance. How does insurance in the state of Virginia handle uh, acts of God to cars? Well, I don't, they don't I know not, it doesn't hurt them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, I have not filed any claims um, along those lines. I, to give you, an, you know, a personal example, the, the, the uh, vehicles that I have used and, and used right now to chase, I don't have anything other than liability coverage. I, mean, I don't, you know, I don't do comprehensive on those. Uh, so they tend to be the older vehicle, the one that, you know, is obviously worth less kind of thing. Uh, I have been in, been caught in some hail. In fact, there was one particular storm up in Orange County uh, near Lake Anna in northern Virginia that I got caught on several years ago. Uh, long story short, I was, I was watching a storm to my north, and this one blew up right over top of me. And in five minutes' time, it went from nothing to dropping inch and a quarter inch hail. And... Uh, I was afraid to get out on the highway because the highway was about 30 feet away, you know, 55 miles an hour, one and a quarter inch hail. I wasn't sure it was going to make windshield was going to make it. So I just sat there. So I wound up with some dents in the hood and in, in the top. But at this point, I figure, hey, it's just chaser pride, you know. Let's uh, go back just a little bit to some of the storms you've covered. Once again, uh, you mentioned we've talked about the 2004 event. What about 2004 and on? What other big events in the, uh, I guess the first 10 years of 2000 kind of parked your interest? Well, there are some other storms uh, that come to mind. Uh, just looking at some of my uh, some of my uh, pictures from the from the past, uh, let me bring up uh, this one. I need to open this one up, and I'll sh I'll share it here. This was this happened to be an interesting storm, and my son could tell you. Uh, some things about this that uh, <laughs> I may or may not agree with, but uh, let me bring this picture up here for you. Do dad and son ever disagree on storms? Only when, I tr when he says I try to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, if that picture's up now, uh, that's a pretty grainy picture, but to give you a background on this, 
This was a storm that happened in uh, 2008. This was in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. Um, I had been, I, I knew that was going to be a good tornado day. I just, the, 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 the parameters were all there, the shear, the instability, the lift, everything was in place. But my problem was I had that morning, I'd had an eye appointment. I had had one eye dilated. I couldn't focus very well. So driving was out. My son at the time lived in Richmond, but my daughter was home from college. So I got her to drive us, the two of us, to meet my son. And the three of us went storm chasing. Well, somehow I wound up being the guy who was navigating, you know, you know the guy that couldn't see, couldn't focus on a map. I'm, I'm, I'm navigating. So we knew this tornadic storm was coming up. It had, it, weather radio had bleeded out. It was coming across Interstate 64. And uh, again, we didn't have a lot. We had a little bit of access to mobile data, but not much. But we knew where the trajectory was. So we, we went out to the wilds of Spotsylvania County, which, by the way, I would not suggest chasing out there. <laughs> it's very, very hard to see. Found this storm and, and thought we had got out of the way of it. Turns out we had pulled, we found this spot here, as you see in this picture. And that, those three trees you see there in the foreground, I think you can make those out there, they're about 150 yards away from us. This tornado popped out just on the other side of those trees with rotating rain curtains right in front of us. The reason this picture is a little fuzzy is because I took it as I was diving back into the car so we could get out of the way. Um, my son says I tried to kill it, but really we lost situational awareness on this tornado. It wound up being an EF zero, so it, you know, it wasn't that strong, but still it got a little closer than we wanted it to be. Yeah, I noticed the power lines right there. Over yeah, there. exactly, exactly. Uh, and there were a couple of other ones. Um, let's see. This was an interesting one. Um, if I can pull this up. Now, this was, um, uh, let's go back to screen share here. Come on. Give it a second. Sometimes it takes a second or two to load. A little bit of a pause. Yeah. Here we go. Now this is this is a really poor quality picture because it was literally dark. It had gotten dark. We had chased this storm down, uh, actually southeast of Charlottesville. It was in the in the Palmyra area in Fluvanna County. Actually, probably down near David Reese's area and his his uh, uh, area of responsibility. Uh, this this was a, actually a, a I pulled a frame off of a, a video, my little flip video, by the way. And you can see this this funnel here backlit by lightning. Uh, we we watched this storm go by and actually went to the north side of, of uh, Palmyra. This was south of Palmyra. Went to the north side of town, watched it touch down, called called in a re storm report, and we were a little confused. Being from Fredericksburg, we didn't know what weather service office to call because we were literally at the junction of three different weather services between Blacksburg, Sterling, and Wakefield. Their areas. So we wound up. I think the I think Fluvanna County was Wakefield's area. So we called in a, a storm report to them, but. That was another tornado that was that was obvious that day. It was it was a good tornado day. The shear was in place and everything was just right. And this was in, in early May, I believe, two thousand eight. You know, from two thousand eight, we went into uh, two thousand and eleven, and that was a big year for us for severe weather across the state of Virginia. Talk a little bit about the outbreaks of late April. Yeah, um, I was a little. Not a little. I was a lot miffed <laughs> on the, the for first one. I think April 16th was one of the big days that hit you guys there in Carolinas. Um, and it, there was some some indications that there was going to be some chasing that day. And I believe that was a Saturday. I wound up being sick as a dog that day. I couldn't even get out of bed. 
and I, all these tornado reports were coming in. I just, it made me even sicker. <laughs> but I did a friend of mine who uh, actually chases for a TV station in Richmond, uh, who was a, a, a former Hokie storm chaser for the Virginia Tech uh, crew. And he chased that storm, several storms down in the Raleigh area and got some really good pictures and video of, of, some, of some tornadoes there. But lo and behold, about uh, I guess it was 11 days later on, on April 27th that day or that year in 2011 it was a huge tornado outbreak that went all the way from the Gulf Coast came up through Virginia and uh, I went out chasing that day and I did manage to uh, catch a couple of, of uh, photos here and let me see if I can find these here for you uh, a couple of funnels uh, that were in the Fredericksburg area this was um, go back here I can do the screen share thing again And we'll go to this one. All right, I'm not sure which one's showing here. Uh, Is this the over a tree and a silo on the left. Gotcha. Okay. This was in uh, rural spots of any county west of Fredericksburg. I had watched this storm for quite a while. I watched this, I actually sat under the base and while it got itself together. It's down near Lake Anna in Orange County. Came up through rural spots of any county. And then this thing took off. I mean, it turned right. And now this is heading, I'm looking due east, and it took off, and I couldn't keep up with it because it was moving so fast. And this wound up dropping a confirmed tornado over uh, north of Fredericksburg as it crossed Interstate 95. Uh, so that, that was one storm that day. I gave up on that one uh, because you know, when you got, get close to the Interstate 95 corridor, it's just, it's just not a good place to be anywhere because of the traffic. So I doubled back around on Route 3 west of, of Fredericksburg. and uh, right about 6 p.m., at the height of rush hour, by the way, there were cars flying by on both sides. I pulled off in the median and looked off to the north and saw this funnel. And this may or may not have touched. This may have been a, a, a tornado. I couldn't tell. Again, it was behind the trees. And by this time, it was probably, I'm looking north, it's probably over the Rappahannock River crossing into Stafford County at this time. I don't believe there are any tornado reports on this one, but there were other tornadoes that did touch down in northern Virginia. That day. I just happened to catch a couple of funnels there. That, that was a very busy day. Now, Chris, you, you brought up uh, you have to pull off the side of the road during busy traffic. Is there any advice you can give to our viewers if, if they're out doing some of this sort of storm chasing? Uh, what, what's the best thing to do when you see something that's very interesting in the sky and you want to get pictures, you want, you want to stop, but maybe you're on an interstate, maybe you're on a, in a dangerous highway situation. What, what's your advice for that? Well, first of all, I see and this is this is just my personal opinion. I see way too many videos and pictures taken from people who are obviously have one hand on the steering wheel and the other hand on a camera out the window, and they're driving along. Just don't do that. Don't ever do that. That's just that's just asking for trouble. So so yes, get off the road. If you're actually chasing, if I'm chasing, I don't get on interstates. Okay, it's because there's no it, the the access to get off to, to get out of the way of something or to look at something there's just not that many ex exits so i get off on a road that i can pull off on the side i try very hard not to pull into people's driveways you know i don't want to do that uh, but the important thing is to get completely off the road not just half off the road to get the car completely off the road so that people don't have to you know swerve around you there come up behind you so it's really a safety thing I, i'm more worried when i'm out chasing about traffic when i'm on the road and traffic passing me when I'm pulled over than I am about the storms. Good to know. All right, let's get into one more storm as we're getting close to nine o'clock here. Let's talk about 
last year and the big Appomattox tornadoes and the events of February uh, 2016 and what that day was like. Sure. Let me let me bore you with another screen share here. Um, I've got several uh, slides and photos I can show here. This uh, this was the uh, Storm Prediction Center outlook for that day. This is the 24th of February. Uh, you notice uh, the legend is down here, but the red area is a moderate risk area, which is level four out of five on this, the Storm Prediction Center's uh, uh, scale of severity, if you will. And you notice that it covers a good chunk of the Piedmont of North Carolina and, and Virginia. And that was what got a lot of people interested. There was, it was a very deep upper level trough diving down to the, from the west, coming, in, coming into the area, pulling up moisture ahead of it. Uh, there was, that day there was a wedge, a cold air damming wedge uh, that's that set up. And I knew the important thing was to get just below that wedge as it retreated because you could get into the warm, juicy air. And I think, let's see, move this ahead. Yeah, and there wound up, there was the storm reports that day for uh, for that area, and you can see the the red. There was a number of, of tornado reports, you know, almost three dozen. Plenty of wind reports that day. Lots of damage. Uh, where I was, and I just I just pull this up for you know shameless plug for uh, for radar scope, which is what I was using. Uh, I had started out close to the mountains, and then realized each of these storms, individual storms, were had incredible forward speeds. They were literally moving at highway speed. You know, they're 55, 60 miles an hour, you know, from southwest to northeast. I knew there was no way I could actually get on one and chase one. You, you just couldn't keep up with it. So my thought was I got on, on uh, this uh, Route 58 corridor, US 58, which runs just north of the Virginia, North Carolina line, and just retreated in front of the line, watching the storms going in front of me from left to right. Here I'm just east of the Danville, Virginia area. That's my dot right there with a the blue circle. And that storm, that circulation, this is, this is a, a velocity scan, that circulation you see here with the red and green, that was the storm, the first storm along the line that actually produced it, the Appomattox tornado uh, a little bit later. You can see the yellow box around it. It was severe warned at this time, as was the next storm in the line down here. And I think I've got my next picture here. Yeah, this is a picture looking west over Danville. This is up top of the hill. And this is that first storm. You can kind of see the lowering here behind the hill. This was the wall cloud that actually that tornado, the Appomattox tornado, dropped out of uh, about uh, probably 45 minutes later because the storm was screaming to the northeast. Again, I knew I couldn't keep up with it, so I didn't even try. Just let it go by. And, of course, I didn't know it was going to drop that tornado, but I knew it had a pretty good chance. But my concern was the next storm on the line, which all I had to do was to swivel from looking to the west to looking to the southwest. And, and this was the storm that's come on. This is the wall, the wall cloud under the next storm. And as this storm approached me, it, went, it also went tornado ward. So I had to back off and move east into the, into the rural sections of Pennsylvania County, east of Danville, to stay ahead of the storm uh, and, and keep an eye on it. And I got to one point, and I turned around from watching that second storm. Here's storm number three coming. There's a wall cloud underneath that developing right here. So I actually had enough time. At this point, I had maybe four or five minutes because things were moving pretty fast. I called in a, a, a storm report to the National Weather Service office in Blacksburg, you know, and gave them verification for the warning that they had on that storm. I think it was severe warning at this time. But I wound up being on, um, I guess that was my last picture. I wound up being on several storms that day. That I think I went through four tornado warn storms and a, a couple of other 
severe one storms. My, uh, my, my cell phone with the warnings on it was blowing up because every time a warning would come out, it would, it would say, you are now in a tornado warning. You are now in a severe, severe phone storm warning. And the, the thing that concerned me about it all, I was the only one paying attention. Everybody else was going about their own business, driving around, looking at me, sitting on the side of the road, like, what are you doing? And the, there's tornado warnings going off. And it's so obvious, it was obvious to me that they weren't listening to the weather radio, probably not even to the local radio, which had me a little concerned. That's always the amazing thing to me is how oblivious people can be sometimes. Talk about that feeling. I mean, you're going into a community sometimes, you're watching a storm, and most everyone else is kind of just going about their lives. Well, it, yes. And I don't want to say that other people are just ignorant, you know, because they're not. I mean, they have their lives to live. And, you know, hey, I confess I'm a weather geek. I pay attention to the weather, just probably like everybody on this panel. Uh, so most people don't pay attention to weather unless it's going to directly affect them. Uh, but that's why it's so important to educate people every time we talk to them about, you know, having multiple ways of getting warnings, whether it's a weather radio, whether it's warning apps, uh, you know, from a national outlet or, or from a local, a lot of the local TV stations have apps that they, they can send warnings out uh, there. And of course, you can, you know, turn tune into the local television and, and radio markets. It's just important for people to get that information and to pay attention to what's going on. Chris, I have a Already? I, I have a question, and you guys may have already covered this, um, but chasing is definitely different uh, here in the southeast than it is out in the Midwest, um, especially with the road system. You know, out there it's kind of squares. You know, you can go in a square and you're in good spot. Here in the Carolinas, Virginia, we have more of the, the winding roads, country roads. How have you throughout the years learned the road network that's put you in all these right places? Um, uh, do you use Google Maps? Do you study this in the off-season? How, how, how do you learn the, the ins and the outs of the road system where it's not as kind of easier as it is out, the, out in the Midwest? Short answer is trial and error. Uh, you know, when, again, as I mentioned earlier, living in Northern Virginia, I had lived up in that area for quite a bit, so I was, I was familiar with many of the, uh, the rural area, rural routes, uh, but I still had to learn you know, what, what roads I could take that, were, that would lead me in, in proper directions, whether, you know, as you said, we don't have the road grid here like they have, say, in Kansas, where every mile there's a, there's a north-south road or an east-west road. And so it's very easy to maneuver around. You have to know where the roads go. You have to know what visibilities are, for instance, you know, where the open areas are. Um, so when I moved about five years ago, I moved down here to Roanoke, I had to relearn all that. And I had to relearn a new area. And so it's a lot of trial and error. Sometimes it's like, Oh great! I could have good. I have a good position. I have good. I have good sight vision, and the storm's over there. You know, it's behind the trees. I have this great area to look, but the storm's in the wrong place. So you, you just kind of learn those and build a mental map in your head sometimes. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had vantage points sort of plotted out around the area. That way, when when pops up on radar, you're like, oh, I know exactly where to go for this one. To to a certain extent, yeah, that that, that happens to be you know, something that you learn just by experience. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, venturing into a new area, you luck out, oh man, I got the, just the perfect place. But most of the time it is defaulting back to those areas that you know. And, and most of it, Shay, has to do with, uh, I know that, that particular vantage point and I know the road's going to it and the road's getting away from it. So if I have to move out of the way of the storm, I, can, I know I could do that. I'm not on a blind dead end somewhere. And again, forgive me if you've already covered this. Um, 
but is there a certain certain part of Virginia that that you like to storm chase? Is there uh, certain areas when you when you see a higher risk of potential of severe weather tornadoes that you kind of get excited about? I know you're based in the Roanoke area, but is that your area, or is maybe further east or? Well, it, it's a trade-off, and, and it's sometimes, well, not sometimes, many times storm chasing is nothing but trade-offs. Um, I think Ricky mentioned earlier that the Tidewater area gets a lot of severe weather just because the proximity to the Atlantic, the flat, you know, the flat land, open areas. But for me, it's a trade-off, A, because of the distance to get there, and B, because, uh, and B, because I'm not that familiar with the rural roads, and C, because the population density ramps up pretty quickly. And, you know, and I, I, wouldn't, I don't like chasing in, in urban areas, as I said before, because of the traffic. And so all those things together, unless I'm on a storm, for instance, say if I'm in, in the South Boston area or, or Clarksville, which is two and a half to three hours from me, you know, one way. If I'm on a storm and it looks good and it's still daylight, I'll follow it. I'll keep up with it. But most of the time, by the time storm fires, say mid-afternoon, I've chased them for three or four hours, get over to South Boston, Clarksville area, it's starting to get dark. I don't chase after dark for the most part. So, you know, I, I, that's why I probably don't go any further for the most time. I gotcha. And I don't know if you guys saw, we had a question come in via Twitter. Uh, it's, it's from our friend Craig. Uh, he was saying, regarding those who seem to ignore the warning on the roads, do you think it has to do with the lack of shelters? You know, here in the southeast, uh, we don't have the tornado shelters, shelters as they would there in the Midwest. Do you think that may have something to do with it? You know, it could. Um, I think in general, though, it's just it's a lack of awareness. You know, I, um, just to give you an example, I, some of the trips I've made out to the, to the Great Plains, I've done I uh, forget how many here, about seven trips, I guess, with the Virginia Tech Hokie Storm Chasers as, as, a, as a driver and, you know, co-leader kind of thing. Uh, when you get out there in the plains and you talk to the local residents, and, and we do, you know, we'll, we'll pull up, we'll, we'll have to gas up, you know, we'll go to lunch and you know, stop for lunch. And, and you kind of talk to the local people. When it's severe weather season out there, they are paying attention. They know that they have to pay attention. Back here, most people are oblivious. They what, what do you mean? Severe thunderstorm. What's that? You know? So it, it's just a difference because the storms out there are so much more often and so much more potent uh, that than back here. It's just, you know, okay, whatever. Severe, severe thunderstorm warning out. Okay, well, maybe I'll look at the sky, but I'm not going to worry about it. I agree. They're um, more weather aware than, and than folks here in the Southeast for, for, for sure. So back to you, Ricky. I, that's just the only questions I had. All right. Uh, we're getting very close to now. I have two last questions I want to ask. First off, what's the most memorable chase out of all of them uh, around the region? Gosh. Um, Obviously, the, the the Ivan you know 2004 chase was was pretty memorable just because we have of what we saw. But there are, are so many more. Um, I one thing I need to stress is I'm a storm chaser. I'm not a tornado chaser. Okay, what that means is I don't have to see a tornado to be happy. I can see some really great storms, storm structure, wall clouds, shelf clouds, and and just see some really cool sights, and I'm happy. So having said that, though. Uh, you know, a tornado is like a, a, an icing on the cake, and, and 
what I find is memorable is when I go out on what the on a, what the Storm Prediction Center would we used to call them the the five the C text the five percent risk now they're the marginal risks and actually finding a really cool storm and that happened last September this in 2016 the end of September there were two days and, and the second day especially sticks out. Uh, where we were under a marginal risk, there was an upper level low off to the west, and there was some, you know, some uh, uh, moisture and stuff being pulled up from out from the Carolinas. And I chased in uh, southern Virginia and saw two separate supercells that looked cl like classic supercells with hook echoes on radar, and it wound up actually in the hook on one of them, kind of by accident. Saw a funnel, backed away from it moved further north into Franklin County, Virginia, along the, the uh, Virginia Route 40 corridor that, that runs uh, just south of Smith Mountain Lake, and wound up at, at dark watching a multi-vortex funnel dip down about two miles in front of me, north of me. That was pretty cool, uh, and, I, and I did call in a report on that, by the way. But that was cool because it was one of those things, you know, it, nobody expected it to be that severe, but I saw some pretty cool stuff. And my last question, um, obviously, you, know, you take precautions. You've been doing this for quite a long time. But what would you say to people who s say storm chasing in our area is just a bad idea overall? Um, well, those are the, I guess you can divide them in two, two parts. One would be the, the folks that would say storm chasing is a bad idea, period. <laughs> There's a lot of folks that think we're crazy, and I can understand. Uh, the other are, say, chasers, and I've seen some of this, this uh, uh, thought process from chasers that have never chased anywhere but the plains. And they, can't, they, they shudder when they think about chasing somewhere where there's trees and hills and roads that aren't rectilinear, you know, one every, you know, a road every mile going north and south. And, and I think I just would encourage them, of course, if I lived in the plains, I'd chase it in the plains. That's the bottom line. But if they, if they think it's hard, just come chase with us. You know, it's... There's some things you can do. You may not see everything you'd like to see, but uh, there's ways of mitigating the risk. And that's what it's all about is mitigating risk. All righty. Anything we didn't talk about you'd like to mention um, overall? If not, give a plug to where people can see some of your uh, your, your blogs and uh, Twitter stuff and stuff like that. Sure. Well, I you know, like I said, I, I write all this stuff up and, and post pictures and stuff, mainly for me, so help me remember. But if anybody else wants to go look at it, I'm on... I have a WordPress blog just called Virginia Storm Chasing. If you go on WordPress and search for Virginia Storm Chasing, it, it should pop up. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at uh, ChrisVAWX, and uh, a lot of times I will post links to that, uh, that blog. I also have a Facebook page called Virginia Storm Chasing, and I'll either post pictures or, or links again to the, the blog articles there. So those are se uh, several places you can find me uh, looking at storm chasing here in Virginia. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and kind of saying some of the experiences you've had over the years and kind of letting everyone know what the insides are here chasing on the East Coast. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate the time. And uh, the hard part was kind of condensing it down into not talking all night about storm chasing. I could probably do that. <laughs> well, that's what uh, bars and restaurants and everything else are for, right? When we uh, all get together after the chase. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All righty. With that, we'll throw it back to Scotty, who uh, has a look at some of our upcoming stuff. 
Yeah, thank you, Ricky and Chris. Thanks again for uh, coming on tonight. Uh, next week, Victor Gensini will be uh, joining us as we're going to be talking about predicting tornadoes. Um, he's done a, a lot of research uh, that's been able to not only predict tornadoes, you know, a couple of days out, but maybe looking at the setup and the synoptics a couple of weeks out. So uh, Victor will be joining us next week to uh, talk about that. And then Nick Ulisili uh, will be joining us um, as he talks about uh, storm photography. He's a uh, got many 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 as uh, uh pictures of, of different types of storms tornadoes lightning hurricanes winter storms so nick's going to be joining us kind of talking about uh, uh storm photography and, and some different stories that kind of stick out in his mind so that's uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks uh again i don't know if we're going to cover anything else i was late joining i think uh shay may have something to add here so shay i'll give it to you yeah i just wanted to uh let viewers know we have our first tropical depression on the Atlantic. It's actually subtropical depression number one. So the first spot of tropical activity, it's very rare to see it in April. The first, first one in about 14 years. We've only had two named storms in April ever in the Atlantic Basin. So uh, with, with following up with Scotty's dates, we actually have Levi Cowan of Tropical Tid Tidbits. Uh, sorry, coming on May 17th, Wednesday, May 17th with us. He did a really good rundown last year. He's very good at the tropics. He's actually a, a very good expert and all the different oscillations and El Nino and, and everything else that is involved with the tropical season. And he'll be joining us before the kickoff of the hurricane season, which is June 1st. So make sure to, to join us for that and keep your eye, one eye on the tropics and one eye at home. Uh, today was a good day to knock off the dust on the bookmarks for the tropics. So back to you, Ricky. All yeah, right. oh, I was gonna say to play off of that, we just booked uh, Jim Williams. He uh, is the author of hurricanecity.com. Uh, talking about um, various cities that, that's dealt with dealt with hurricanes over the past several years. So Jill will be joining us May 31st, the day before hurricane season starts. So yeah, perfect timing, uh, right? We'll have uh, we'll have some of your tropics covered before uh, before the official start of hurricane season. And Shay, this would be Arlene, correct? If it was named Arlene, that's correct. Yes, uh, would, most likely if this one this one's not forecast to strengthen into a into a subtropical storm but it would be subtropical storm Arlene if it were to do that sometime overnight they're only going by ASCAT or advanced advanced scatterometer data for the winds there's no flights scheduled to go out into it so we don't really know for sure we know that the pressure is down right near 990 millibars I think so it's a it's a fairly impressive depression but I don't think the winds are, are quite there yet and the convection's not quite there wrapped around the center it's over cooler water. So it's just, you know, like I said, it's something to knock the dust off the bookmarks on and just kind of say, oh, wow, you know, that, that started a little bit early. So we're going to have to start looking at our uh, tropical areas in the Atlantic Basin a little bit early this year. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, anybody have anything else to add before we, uh, before we log off? All right. I think we're good. So, uh, again, thanks for joining us on the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we appreciate you watching tonight. Hope you have a great weekend and join us next week as Victor will be uh, talking about tornadoes and predicting them in the near future. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Everyone have a great week and we'll talk to you later.